Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. <laughs> Hello, producer Trent here, and a very warm welcome to Series 7 of Book Shambles. We have to start by giving a huge and continued thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, both past, present and future. We certainly wouldn't have got to Series 7, uh, we wouldn't have made any episodes at all, to be honest, without your support. So thank you very much for that. And as we start Series 7, we've brought in a new tiered reward system on Patreon. If you are a current supporter, uh, you will be moved into the appropriate reward tier, so you might get some extra bonuses that you uh, weren't aware of, um, but you will still get access to everything that you already do, so the the Patreon feed and the extended episodes, that's still available for anyone uh, who pledges at all at any level. And it is still a case of a maximum of three charged episodes per month so if you pledging a dollar an episode you'll never get charged more than three dollars a month regardless of how many episodes we put out if we put out 20 episodes uh i clearly won't have been to bed for the entire month but also you'll still only be charged three dollars so go to patreon.com slash bookshambles or cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles to have a look at uh, the different rewards there. And you can also do a, a one-off pledge. In fact, there's some tiers that are specifically designed for a one-off pledge. So at the end of the, the first month after you've been charged for that, you can cancel, you can cancel your Patreon subscription and that will count as a one-off pledge. And there's all sorts of rewards there. So there's book shambles, uh, shirts and book bags. There's uh, behind-the-scenes films that we're going to be making. We've got a book shambles book club where you can, you'll can, you come on once a month and chat with uh, us and uh, Robin and Josie and, and authors and stuff. Uh, and there's also, at the top tier, there's a chance for you to be our guest on Book Shambles. So you will come to our studio, you will uh, have a coffee and do all the stuff and then come into the studio and do uh, a mini episode with Robin and Josie talking about uh, your favourite books. Do go and check that out. Uh, Patreon.com slash bookshambles, cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles. And now on to the first episode of this new season with our special guest. You'll probably best know him as Jeff from Curb Your Enthusiasm. This is Robin and Josie with Jeff Garland. Welcome to Josie and Robin's Book Shambles, and today our special guest is the actor, writer, producer, uh, improviser, and... Broadcaster. Always a broadcaster. Everyone's a broadcaster now. <laughs> Jeff Garling. And uh, Jeff, you're, because we started talking about, before we, we switched this on, we started yeah. talking about comic books, and you yeah. were saying, well, we talked a little bit about some of the, the treatment of comic book writers in the mainstream. What was horror. I think they're being treated much better now. You know what? There's a, um, uh, I actually, I'm trying to remember the name of the comic book, but I was just approached about uh, doing a TV series on a, a, a uh, a DC comic book from the 90s, and I can't remember the name of it, but for whatever reason, 
it's the first time I've ever heard this. It the the rights reverted back to the writer. Wow. I don't know how that happened. I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, the book. Uh, I don't remember. Um, but yeah, but it was very interesting, and I might do that. You know. Have you read? I'm um, just thinking of, of of comic books and the yeah. internet as well. Have you read the book I Hate the Internet? Oh, oh yeah. of course. It's great. Isn't oh, it? I Hate <laughs> the Internet is a fantastic book. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, fantastic. I bought it when I was in New York. Um, about six months ago at a bookstore in New York, they recommended it. You know, like, mm. oh, you'll love this. Loved it. Yeah, me too. It's so, Did it's see? the nearest to a kind of, uh, in, in terms of that Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. just yeah. aphorism, 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 yeah, no. nailing culture. It's yeah. brilliant. I just read a review because he's written a sequel, a sequel, which is a prequel. Oh, is so, it out? I just started. Um, is it just out? Got it. You've got it. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, so it, it must be out. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just read a review of it that, and I was like, "Oh, I see. Well, I this is what he's done." The, the publisher. Oh, that's yeah. one. Of the, the, I just one say... thing I like about social media is if you do bang on about someone just because you like them, then they suddenly get in contact and go, uh, "Do you want a free th- version?" Yes, I got, <laughs> I, I got the proper box set of Calvin and Hobbes. Like the real, yeah. I, I don't know what I was arguing with someone about the title "Scientific Progress Goes Boink," uh-huh. and this argument, someone went, "You obviously like Calvin and Hobbes, would you?" Like? Yes, and then uh-huh. the weight of it. Have you seen it? It's no? it's it arrived, oh, wow. and I could see the sciatica all over the face of my postman, and just uh-huh. as he put it down, I, and I, then I went, it's a, "This beautiful." Sorry, Josie, I interrupted because I was so no, excited about I remembering the was, Calvin and Hobbes. I thing. read that book and talked about it on the podcast, and then you read it, and then you asked me if I'd read it, and I was absolutely furious, and I'll never forget. Yeah, I obviously tweet better than you. I'll tell you what, you can have my uh, complimentary copy of the new book. Oh, my gosh. But it's, it's great. 400 pages as well, which seems really like a jump from the other. That's, yeah, is... that is a... Are you kidding me? Is it 400 pages? <laughs> because the other one's a zip-zap, zippity-doo-dah. You know, you go mm. in, you... Wow, how about that? It doesn't, but you know what? I, I, I and think then his next be... book will be eight pages. <laughs> yeah. And then his next book will be six volumes. <laughs> anyway, but let's not get into politics. <laughs> let's look at the trees. Well, My also, favourite book is Meeting with Remarkable Trees. If you, if, you, if you think I might be going to a city where there's not enough trees. Oh. Do you know Meeting with Remarkable Trees? No, I'm going to write it, I'm gonna write it yeah. down right now. I'm going to write it down, put it in my iPhone. But also, a friend uh, of the podcast, Jenny Landreth, has written a book which is the, the kind of top... Um, Top tourist attraction trees of London is definitely not pitched like that in the book. It's much more like historic trees of London, but it's like a tour guide book. You can oh, really? go and see, yeah, you can see sort of this ancient oak, and there's there's a few of them dotted oh, around the city. Because I would love to get that and go around like. You oh, should. Yeah, look at that. Okay. I think so it's first called... off, what's the book you said? Uh, Meeting with remarkable trees. Meeting with remarkable trees. There's nothing more entertaining to a listener than when someone <laughs> is putting in their phone. Uh, remarkable trees. No, but this is perfect because well, you are giving the them the chance to note now. down meeting yes. with remarkable okay. trees. It's tell like the, tell me yours again. So I know that the author is Jenny Landreth, oh, okay. and she's Jenny written Landreth. Yes, and okay. she's written a guide to the trees of London, and she's also written a really good guide to the swimming pools of mm. London, which are my two. Oh my top god, hobbies. I love swimming. Oh mate, you've got to look it up. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll do this. Good. London is. A, I wish you'd write one about America. The. the um, What's it called? But here's the thing. What's what's a great bookstore I should go to? Like one that'll make me happy. Foils is good. Foils? Yeah. That's okay. and that's really nearby. It's also all that if you the that that section of Charing Cross Road where you have the second yeah. hand the, the art bookshop, uh I would I'll pronounce this wrong, Koenig Books yeah. is an incredible art bookshop. Uh I feel like Koenig is right. Maybe it is right. I just I'm um, Koenig, Sarah Koenig. Oh, okay. Is it Koenig? Right. 
The, the one that begins with a K and has art books in the front. It's that one. <laughs> in Charing uh, Cross. And that's Cross. And then, then also, Charing if you, if you like, yeah. the Cecil Court, which is still, it hasn't quite been overtaken by the rapid rises in, okay. in rent, etc., has the best secondhand, like, weird little now, collecting yeah, places. You have secondhand record stores, which I noticed. Someone contacted me from, that's not mine. I don't think. I'm the only one with a cell phone. Maybe it is mine. I, I turn <laughs> off all sounds. I hate sounds. Um, oh, no. My sound things are on. Anyhow. Um, uh, we have uh, many secondhand uh, uh, record stores, uh, and a lot of them sell new product too. But the other day, I was in um, Covenant Garden, and there was a record store that only sold new records and new CDs and new oh. DVDs. I forgot what it's called. Fop. Fidder- yeah, Fop. Fop. Yeah. yeah, and literally, no exaggeration, there are none in America. <laughs> Zero. That store doesn't exist. It was very nostalgic to go in there, and it was crowded, and people were buying. Yeah, I was. I was so shocked uh, that that even existed. This is like three years ago. I went to Finland, and in Finland, they still have video rental shops. Oh, they do. Or like maybe DVDs now, uh, but it's like a rental shop for films. And I was exactly like. How? Oh, How oh I love it. If I hope then? when you went in there and oh, I'm sorry, we have got the film. Did you want Betamax VHS or V2000? <laughs> By the way, though, there there are a couple of those in Los Angeles rental stores. But what what's magical about them is the movies that are there you can't get on Netflix, oh, wow. I, I, iTunes, or a, a Amazon. You can't get them anywhere. Like these movies are. Only available like in these shops. Wow! And that that's how they stay in business. Um, yeah, it's, so you can get anything there. So a few of those exist there, uh, but not you know two uh, specifically. Huh. Yeah. Now we need to because we, we we get complaints otherwise if we don't talk enough about books. Yeah, oh, and by so... the way, I'm pro book. I love reading. <laughs> I, I, I yes, I uh, um, yes. Okay. So uh, in terms of oh, in that in that record store. They have books, and yeah. I bought a uh, Philip K. Dick book that I had been wanting to read, the one that Blade Runner's based on. Oh, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Yeah. Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. So I just bought that yesterday, and I was thrilled to buy it. So I bought a book in the store, too. <laughs> oh, they're great. Actually, they've got, they are very good for picking up. They, they've got quite a lot of uh, the Gallant science fiction stuff. Yeah, like that's the, what the, I bought. The, that's the like Masterworks the GF, ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I got. And it was not expensive. And it was a big bowl of delight. And I, I, I just went, to, well, we're switching to books now. I have an iPad. I brought with me my Kindle. But I get such joy from holding a book. Yeah. Uh, I read tons on my Kindle. I mean, I really do read. I read probably two books a month alone just on my Kindle. But man, holding a book, oh, it thrills me. Having beautiful volumes of a book on a shelf to look at and touch thrills me. Thrills There's a me. lovely thing. The Book Exchange in Notting Hill, which is a lovely second-hand place, and uh, uh, the Book Exchange there actually has a sign saying, please do not sniff our books. Because huh. yeah, there's all these lovely old second-hand... No, stop sniffing the books, we've told you. Buy it and take it home to smell it. Oh. Um, but do they really you... get mad if you sniff it? No, I, but they just... I, I just it's a tongue-in-cheek thing. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Yeah. the main thing though. they get is, please don't come in here and ask, is this the shop, the bookshop that's in the film Notting Hill? No, it's not. <laughs> no, that doesn't exist. Right. It's all pretend. That was yeah. all pretend. Right. Um, so you... That's where I'd be like, uh-huh, buy the mugs that we've yeah. made. By the way, if people mistake me for someone else, I, I now just say yes. Ha, huh. who yeah. do you get? Who do people mistake you for? Uh, there's a uh, broadcaster <laughs> in the States. 
uh, who I actually, for the first time, did his show last year. He's on ESPN, the Sports Network. Uh, 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 I can, Mike uh, Golick is his name. And we do look similar, but not so much that you, you know. Uh, and then someone mistook me for a comedian named Jeff Ross, who oh, I look nothing like. <laughs> and that was the last time that I ever, they came up for me to, with his picture, mind you, for me to sign it. And I, I, I regret not saying, not just signing it. Like but I told him, I'm just the, go, like, no, no, I, but I told him, no, I go, it's not me. Can you see? I just said it, but I wish I'd just signed it. <laughs> it was something ridiculous. Well, I, Ian Banks and Ian Rankin, uh-huh. who wrote very well, uh, Ian Banks sadly, sadly died far too young and he, but, uh, because they were both Scottish writers that Ian. came out at around the same time. Right. Yeah. You know, Ian Banks wrote things like the Wasp factory. And then as Ian M Banks wrote a lot of science uh-huh. fiction, Ian Rankin is a great thriller writer of the, uh, the, the Rebus novels, but people would often come up and go, and they were friends, but people go, oh, Ian, I'm a huge fan of your work. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, it's one of Ian Banks' books, now I'm in ranking. But they just, were, they would never bother to ever Brilliant, just go, though. yep. So Brilliant. people at home doing, have, yeah. and they still might not know, yeah. that Ian Rankin book is signed by Ian Banks and that Ian Banks book is signed by Ian Rankin and they won't know. <laughs> um, what do you, you, you mentioned just buying a Philip K. Dick book. Can I ask, what were the, the books that kind of formed you? When you were when you were growing up, what was what's oh, the first? Oh, I read a lot think? when I was a kid, and I'm trying to if I can think of a book. I was so oh well, uh, um, um, the first book that profoundly affected me was uh, uh, Salinger, um, Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye rocked my world. Huh. Like rocked it more than a John Waters movie. Rocked it more than anything. Catcher in the Rye. And you know what's so funny? I tried getting my boys to, my boys, here's, this is really shocking. My wife loves to read. I love to read. And my, both my boys are not into it. They're 17 and 21. They just don't like reading. It, it, I know it makes me nuts. It makes me nuts. But I figure they'll get into it, you know, just because. And by the way, it's one of those things, do as I do, not as I say. They see me reading. So hopefully, um, Oh, you know, it's someday. one of my favorite things. My son's nine, nearly ten, and like last night we were just sitting together on the bed, just reading our books every oh. now and again. Dad, there's I, a thing. Here. Thanks very much. Okay. Oh, by yeah, the that's... way, every thank the universe every day, man. That's beautiful. Now my boys, very loving. They let they let me kiss them at seventeen, twenty one, as much as I want. Still, <laughs> and they're delightful individuals, delightful, and I'm very proud of them. But I'd be a lot more proud. But good. Have you done a lot of strategies to try and kind of slip? Oh, I've done it all. Their... I've all. I've bought them. I've bought them dozens of books, and I've explained why they would find it interesting. And oh yeah, I'll read it. Like they just they say that. No, they never get around. And I've bought three books by the time I noticed. Bought them three books more before I've noticed that they haven't read the one that I had said. Oh, it's so frustrating. It's my here's a merciless plug, but it only only happened two days ago. But the book that I've I've just done uh, with my friend Brian Cox, someone came up to me and went, "I bought your book." And my fourteen year old, and she doesn't do anything apart from on a phone. The moment I got it home, she nicked it off me. She's read the whole thing, and now she's asking questions. And it's it's a kind of fun science book thing. And it was that bit of going, "It's the best review." I mean, I'm the same the as you. I don't know, but it's By like the, way, the fact that's that... the best review <laughs> ever. 
My child never reads, but they read your book. Come on, man, what's better than that? I mean, a lot of it might be because Brian is, he's the lure. Brian is a very attractive cosmologist and astronomer, and uh, I am well, his well, body parts back. man. Cosmologist as in cosmetology? Oh, the sty, stars. Yeah. Oh, pardon my ignorance uh, for a second. I got lost in what you said. He's, he's, imagine, he, by the way, imagine being an expert in skincare and science <laughs> and being very attractive man. That would be really delightful to a woman, I think, that combination. Moon craters and facial craters yeah, is, a, is a nice mix. Say, yeah. well, that's a great autobiography. <laughs> yeah, you There's know. a little bit halfway between Carl Sagan and John Waters, yes, I think. Yes, is, is moon... yes. yes. Um, oh, I watched an interview with Carl Sagan, just a clip. on. Uh, there was a little clip of an interview, and they said to him, are you a socialist, Mr. Sagan? He's like, well, I, I don't know what that means, but what I do know is that America spends its money wrong, and we should be putting money into education. We should be putting money into this, that, the other. And I was like... Carl Sagan, I didn't realise you shared my politics oh, he got as well as science. It was so exciting. What did you get arrested for? He got for? arrested at protests over, you know, uh, um, in kind of we- weapons places. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. wow. and he wrote a whole book about, even even though actually it turns out the science wasn't about the time, Nuclear Winter, uh, he wow. co-wrote a book on that. And he was, uh, and he said, the mark of a civilization. Libraries are a mark of a civilization. The no, access no. to libraries. Well, by the way, to me, the number one thing that my country does not do well is get behind education. Mm. We have a terrible uh, uh, head of the Department of Education. You know. Oh yeah. Oh, it's just it's it's horrible. And our, our, our now, how, what does college cost here? Is it is it crazy or is it a free? Lot. It's a lot now. It we was want... free. Then they put in small charges. Then they upped the charges. Then. Five, uh, seven years ago, they tripled the charges. And oh, dear God. Now it costs you probably about £50,000 all in. Oh, so it's so probably about $80,000. Like, oh, $60,000. Or $50,000. Wait a minute, £50,000, isn't that like $75,000? It, it used to be. <laughs> Literally, as this is being made, that, that is yeah, changing Brexit. every moment. Oh, really, is it changed? Yeah. Because I paid, I got £100 and it cost me $160. Oh, that's not. Oh, the that's airport just, in L.A. Oh, that's ripoff, isn't it? Oh, it is now. <laughs> now that I hear, but, but I, sh- I shouldn't have done it because I rarely use cash here. Yeah, yeah there that's... was a time about ten years ago where it, the dollar was two to the pound. Only time in my life, and I was very—I didn't have any money. But suddenly, America was like this incredible, like half-price sale, and I bought Sleekeny records. I bought like everything I'd wanted of American culture. Right, right. But I didn't realize that you have to, when it's shipped over, you have to pay taxes on it. It's oh, like yeah, half of it got. Like I'm buying uh, books and record albums, which I generally do, and and usually, let's let's say I, I go to a city and I buy a bunch of books, I have them ship them for me, but it doesn't cost anything. Here, I brought an extra piece of luggage. I did that in Australia. I was doing so well. And then the last couple of days, and it's not because they're cheaper or anything like that. It's just because I can't stop myself. And you know when you go and you go, oh, I might never see that book again. Like the first day that we were touring in Australia in in, in April, a huge book called The Evergreen Review Reader. Evergreen Review was this kind of magazine that had stuff by Beckett and all the poets. And it was huge. And I thought, I'll never see it again just in case. It broke my suitcase because it was so heavy. The strap came off. And then I came back and I've seen five copies. By the way, I bought... Literally in L.A. Uh, at the airport, I considered this, and at the airport in Los Angeles, I bought a piece of Toomey luggage. So it's really sturdy <laughs> and good just for books and record albums. That's so good. Yeah, I, I just I love being surrounded by books. It mm. just makes me feel good. Oh, you should go to the British Library. It's literally 20 minutes walk up the way. Really? And it's beautiful and like... 
cool. I love libraries. Yeah, it's got it's got uh, William Blake's uh, Newton, isn't it? Right, it's a statue yeah. of that beautiful large and then you walk in and there's this kind of huge like there's a centerpiece which is like a vast glass cabinet about four floors high containing some of the the best books and you can sometimes see people walking around it so it looks like this wonderful kind of i never know it's borges isn't it oh what labyrinth yeah so it's kind of Mm -hmm. yeah it's just this fantastic but you sorry no no i'm interrupting no i interrupted first you are the most polite interviewers i've ever been around which is a delight it's a book podcast it's the least you can expect yeah by the way right isn't it just such okay go ahead yes i wanted to ask you about what you love to read now like what kind of things okay so right now i'm reading uh um uh flaubert oh wow what madame bovary madame bovary i'm reading madame bovary and philip k dick that's what i'm currently reading and those are both the two books that are on, uh, yeah, and a manual for, uh, I have a camera called a Panasonic GH5, which is a, like a, it's a, it's a, you know, regular camera, but you shoot video with it. It's delightful, but I, it's a very comprehensive menu system. So I, li- I literally bought a book to learn how to work the menu system. I love I the mostly fact shoot Leicas, f- which are just range, range finders and very simple. They're almost like the books of cameras. <laughs> you know, they're so simple. And um, although it's all manual, you have to set your aperture, your shot, everything. But, um, yeah, those are the books I'm reading right now. I just love the fact you might finish Madame Bovary before you finish a manual on a camera because they become that. How long was Madame Bovary on your list? Because it's like every January I go, and this is the year I'll be reading James Joyce's Ulysses. <laughs> uh, how long By the that? way, for me... Um, Buying the book generally, I buy it on impulse right away, and then I see it's on my shelf. It's like, oh, and so that was Madame Bovary. I I I literally saw it on the shelf and went, "That what a lovely book to take with me on my trip." Boom, and by the way, I'm loving it. Oh my god, am I loving it? Oh, can't get enough of it. Fascinating. Terrible. The only one I've I've read Gemma Bovary, Posey Simmons' take on it oh, about the middle class I've in read France. That. It's ridiculous. But yeah. It's a, I, I by the way, it's it. not a difficult read. So I don't. Everyone should read it. It's. I mean, it's it's so well written. Um, it's not like it. You know, it's. Uh, but it's like actually simplicity is perfection. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's making me very happy. God, similarly, when I was a kid, my mum really wanted us to be sort of more like culturally educated and she was mm. really into kind of French literature and French cinema and she tried to get us to like read like read Madame Bovary and she made like she we watched like the film version of it you've seen it mm. there's a few film the versions aren't there there's Chabrol did Claude Chabrol do one that oh, that is probably one, right? good if he did it he's, was, he's, he's, he's a great filmmaker mm. it was brutal like yeah. it's I, I'm, now I'm like I'm not, I don't want to give spoilers, but it was it was really intense and brutal and stuff. But I, like totally like your sons, we were like, yeah, we will read that. Oh, it's boring. Did oh, you make you watch Truffaut movies? Um, because at the store, I bought my friend Naomi Cooper. I want to give her a plug. A wonderful comedian who's helping me open my shows every night. Uh, I bought her The Four Hundred Blows, which is a remarkable yeah. movie. Um, yeah. As a yeah, filmmaker, yeah, yeah. Day for Night or La Nuit Americaine, oh, that, that, is, night. That, is that one where you go, you can kind of watch it and go, uh, oh, yes, yeah, a little bit like me, really. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. I, I, 
Hit Truffaut's movies I get lost and see. A lot of times I can watch a movie. It's mostly with real commercial filmmaking. I can just see them. with. I can see the setups. I can see everything in the process of filmmaking as I'm watching it, and I don't get lost. I love getting lost in a movie. But, see, I equate The 400 Blows, for example, with a great book. I mean, it's to me, those are great pieces of art, you know, that just envelop me. Um, uh, but... Uh, there are certain films I see where I can't get lost, and it is I. I but but the four hundred. I mean, uh, uh, day for night. Uh, I don't even associate that as a filmmaker or as a, uh, a person who works in films in any level. It's just another adventure of Truffaut's. Wow. Do you like reading about? Of course, Truffaut wrote a great book about Hitchcock, and then the oh, Fa- Faber and Faber do. Yes, as a matter of fact, I bought another book yesterday for uh, another comedian who I, I, I'm working with. Uh, I bought him Easy Rider Raging Bulls, which is a phenomenal book about the beginning of independent cinema in, in, um, the, when, when it took off and became almost mainstream, but not really, really you know, but with Quentin Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh. Um, that's a remarkable book. Uh, oh, what book... Was it Pictures at a Revolution? Oh, I remember the covers in my head. There's another great book about filmmaking. I love reading books about filmmaking. Great ones. Mm-hmm. You know, I love reading. By the way, isn't that a horrible thing to say? I love reading great books. You know, I'm not that fond of bad books. <laughs> yeah. See, I love bad books as well. I think there's. It, it was John Waters gave that's the best advice I had. He said, he said, ignore the middle brow. He said, you know, because like his his tastes, which are, you know, he would talk about the, his love of going to see Ingmar Bergman films, right. but also he wants to go and see some of those, you know, the, well, the, the, love, the bad love, dormitory girls love, or whatever. As much as I love The 400 Blows, I love a Liam Neeson action movie, you know. But you know what's interesting? If you ask a food reviewer where the best food is, they'll either tell you the finest restaurants or the crappiest ones that are off the beaten path, but literally a shack. And... The stuff in the middle is crap. Yeah. And that I, I find that to be so true in America that the restaurants that pretend to be decent are not even decent. But, you know, who wants decent? So you go to the finest restaurant, delightful, and you find these little places that have no decor whatsoever. And boom, wonderful. Yeah, it's just like one guy who smoked yeah. meat for twelve right. hours. Right, right. Yeah. But 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 I, I think that's true. So I think with literature, yes, crap, crap is most is very delightful. Or something that you expect to be crap is not quite crap. You get something out of it. Yeah. What are there any particular books that when you you first read them or you you still think ah oh, that's the one that I reckon I can make, that I can take it from the page and, and you have in your head the kind of, you know, the shooting script. Uh, well, there's of... a movie that people have tried making for years. The last person who had the rights, uh, I know he had the rights, is Ben Stiller. I talked to him about it. It was great, very difficult. It's a book called What Makes Sammy Run by Bud Schulberg. And I can't recommend it enough. If you, it, it, It's about a... Um, uh, a fella, it's about two gentlemen. One will stop at nothing to become a big producer. And the other one is sort of the conscience of the book. And it's a story of the two of them. But it's never, no one's been able to make it. Confederacy of Dunces is another yeah, one. Yeah, of course. Uh, Steven Soderbergh had the rights to it. Nobody's ever been able to make it. Um, Why do you I, think that is? I, I honestly don't know. 
I guess I guess I'd have to read a treatment of it, a, a screenplay of of uh, of uh, either book to sort of get the idea as to why they can't make it. I, I don't know what it is. I, I assume, by the way, the number one thing with, let's say, Confederacy of Dunces is casting. Mm-hmm. You have to really find a miracle, you know, <laughs> to, to get that right for the mother and the son, you know. Um, so I, I don't know why, but I, I, when I read What Makes Sammy Run, I see the movie as I'm reading it. I've read it a half a dozen times, and I see the movie. As a matter of fact, anyone that works with me, I have them read it. And then afterwards, I ask them about the book, and we discuss it. And there have been people who associated with the main character, Sammy, who is doesn't care about integrity, doesn't care about anything, just getting ahead. And they associated with that character. I knew that my relationship with them was not going to work. Isn't that the scariest thing when you find out that you think somebody is obviously the clear hero of a piece well, of fiction? The way, and then somebody else is like, no, I love the baddie. Like, by no. the way... People my age that read it automatically go, get it, and older, you know what I mean? It was clearly meant as this, but it's it's uh, the new generation that read it and went, what's wrong with that? There's a guy we had on this, Raul Martinez, who wrote a really interesting book called Creating Freedom, mm-hmm. uh, which Brian Eno is a big fan of. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, he made a film, which is, uh, I'm trying to, Lottery of Birth, uh-huh. uh, about, you know, once you're born pretty much where you're born and and your uh, social and cut your that's to break out from it to break free I mean we mentioned Alan Moore before but, to 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 but get I have to say that people do break free yeah no that's from the from the things that are against them people do rise up and 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 I think that uh, everyone should know like you know the because it can be extremely bleak for a lot of people but you can rise up other because you see stories People do, with the worst backgrounds, rise up to greatness. You can. But then there's some other people, it's just not in them. And I get that. And it's terrible what happens, even when they don't have, especially when they don't have an education. But, you know, did someone just give you a sign? Oh, no, it's fine. The, um, I saw your the, eyes uh, roll. Oh, yeah, it was just. Not yeah, roll, they, as in like, no, oh, I just got, <laughs> no, no, I had, I had a little pon- sign. Stop pontificating. This I, is all about pontificating yeah. this podcast. I want to say that because we're around Christmas time, or we're probably just finished by the time we put this Well, we up, hope you've had a lovely Christmas. Um, I would like to give a plug to my organisation, Arts Emergency, which is all about sort of trying to enable people to study arts and humanities and pursue artistic What's careers. What's it called? Arts Emergency. Ar- so arts please, and Majesty? Um, arts Emergency. Arts emergency. And it's all about oh, like, arts emergency. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's us and we um I'm gonna uh, write that down. I'm oh, gonna, thanks. Gonna, I say the term, but I'm just putting it in my my app, my notes app, which comes with the iPhone. But I do the same thing, like every conversation now, yeah. anytime anyone recommends something, I'm like, hang on ten seconds, I'm writing that arts down. Arts emergency, I gotta investigate that. But please I'm getting involved with a charity in Chicago. Uh um I I'm not even remember the name of it right now. My I just by the way, before I walked in here. Before I sat down at that little cafe, I'd been up for 10 minutes. Huh. Uh, um, I, I haven't slept, actually. I slept for two hours. So I'm on two hours sleep right now. Um, Is that the jet lag thing? I don't know. Y- yes, on some levels, but I'm pretty much overcome the jet lag. Uh, my problem is at night, uh, the world becomes very complicated for me. Uh First, it starts out as melancholy, and it turns into great anxiety. Oh, wow. And then I can't sleep. And uh, I just, oh, it's just, it's the worst. But when I wake up, 
The world is full of possibility. As a matter of fact, I wake up every day. Every day I do this, I smile at myself in the mirror. And then I laugh because it's kind of ridiculous. But it sets a tone of like, it'll all be good. And it is all good until the night when it overwhelms me. It's like you're an optimist, but you've only got a little store of optimism. And then by the night, it's run out. And it's you're run like, out. Oh, no! It is. It is. By the way, that's why I love being with people as late as I can. <laughs> like when I'm with my friends, they want to, they fall off and want to go to sleep. Now, I like going to sleep early, uh, too, but they can't keep up with me. And I'm talking about, I'm 55. I have friends in their, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and they cannot keep up with me. Uh, but I just dread being alone at night, you know. It just... Is it the, is it because the, because I think quite often when you, you've been on stage, you've got, you know, there's your inner monologue and your outer monologue, and then you think, I don't need this. You can be quite. Oh no, yeah. shut up! And then you, and you and that disembodied bit where you go, it's not an inner monologue; well, it's a dialogue. I, I it's... smoke. I smoke pot, and uh, or is it called green here? No, pot's great. No, it's weed. Fine, yeah. weed, weed, yeah, weed, yeah. So, I but I, I, I got, <laughs> I got onto it only like five years ago. Like when I was in high school, I smoked a few times. It had nothing of effect. So I went through most of my life not smoking pot. Yeah. I did a show called The View, and Whoopi Goldberg, one of the hosts of The View, said, come with me, and she taught me about indica. You know, there's, there's two extreme strains. There's sativa and indica. Sativa's the on switch. Indica's the off switch. So I need, indica help does help me on nights like that, but I don't want to be smoking weed every night. So a lot of nights I just ride the anxiety, you know. I was going to say about the charity, where I started before I hit this tangent, um, the charity is they're trying, and you know, the, you've heard about all the crime in Chicago, uh, black on black uh, crime, and kids are being murdered walking to school uh, by gangs. Um, so it's a they're building a uh, a boarding school in Chicago, which will be free for children. You know, the, they'll have to apply their families, but they can be safe and stay live at the school. And it's just my way as a white person from the other side of town who feels helpless, not being able to help with this. It's really exciting to me. And it's a human emergency, uh, <laughs> which also arts of emergency is. But this is like saving kids lives, which is really exciting. So who's it, who's the guy? Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, he he runs what appears to it's in New York, and oh man, his first novel was so famous, and uh, he it looks like it's a, a shop for superheroes oh, to Dave go. Eggers. And, Dave Eggers, this yeah. thing Eggers, where, yeah. where it looks like it's a shop that sells superhero paraphernalia, right but uh. actually, are they? Yeah, and and actually, it's a place for kids to go and do their their homework, homework and stuff. Yeah, I yeah. think that's a great. I had Dave really... Eggers is a good man. I don't know him. I have a lot of friends who are friends with him. And he, what he does, he's a, he's a good man. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really like amazed by the fact that he's always like had that thread to him that's like, sure, I'm doing this and this is lovely and I enjoy doing it. But I also have a social conscience and have to do this right. as well. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. important. I like just making myself available to people and things that uh, are wonderful. Yeah. Like Arts Emergency. I'd love to do a benefit for Arts Emergency. Oh, my God. Please, we would love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, no kidding. Next time I come to London... You'll give me your information. I'll look up Arts Emergency, but I'd love to do that. Um, so that's how I do it. With my comedy, I help whoever I can help, you know. Yeah. 
Um, it's great with that, isn't it? Where like basically as a stand-up, you've got a skill which you can like use to kind of uh, good effect without changing the without, skill. As remember, my wife told me, too many charities, you got to stop. Like yeah, it was always doing shows, you know. Uh, but I also feel blessed that I earn a great living from television, so I'm not as concerned if I do a show for charity. Sure, you know, because I, you know, you. Well, so they're the really good fun because if you're on your own a lot touring uh, suddenly you're in the green room again and everyone's like when we did yeah, the Barry Crimmins one yeah. you know, do you know Barry Crimmins uh, yeah, yes yes yeah yes. and, and we, we just had so much fun we did this show because uh, Barry's wife Helen has, has cancer at the moment mm. and, and I when I met him it was like he was having to keep going on the road uh, because to make the money for the chemo and all that. Right. And, and then it was just we had Billy Bragg and Charlotte Church and Josie and a uh, great uh, British comic called Mark Thomas and uh, and we Skyped it all to, to Barry and Helen in Indiana. Oh, just really? this, this show at the Wimbledon Theatre. Is Theater. that where he lives now in Indiana? Yeah, he's in Indiana at the moment. Because I know I always knew him as a guy from Boston. Yeah, that's. I, yeah. I've just been reading his book. Actually, what's it? Oh. Never, uh, never shake hands with a war criminal, uh-huh. uh, which is. Uh, but yeah, they're they're kind of fun. But I was gonna. I have to quickly pick up on when I said it looked like I was stopping going. And once you're in that situation, you can't escape. But I hadn't finished on that uh, thing about uh, Raúl Martínez. Yeah. It's that in his film there was an interesting bit where he said that apparently in the mid seventies in in the U.S. or indeed the early seventies, because of all the insurrection that was on campuses, there was a huge meeting in Washington that went, "We have to change our education." system because we're giving these people minds that are too open to ideas and 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 you can kind of see it in a lot of the english-speaking world which is yeah 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 lower the sense of possibility and i think that's but you're right as you said was it the top two percent or whatever you know uh, in terms of controlling things like the tax bill that just passed which only helps extremely rich people and corporations and i've seen people on twitter and it's not bots like it's real people on twitter defending that bill and i look on their thing and they're like americans who obviously do not earn enough well, to benefit from that bill by the way trump that's how trump got elected from people like that who believed his malarkey mm. you know and it's always about this crazy rich person you know and that's um you know by the way the best movies uh and the best books are the ones where it's the uh, the the hero comes from down low and rises to beat. Like I used to love, I still do love Frank Capra movies oh, yeah. because it, it's the little guy that beats the big guy, the mean corporate guy, uh, and uh, I always love that. It really amazes me because Frank Capra was a Republican, and I think of uh, It's a Wonderful but Life, the man which who is wrote about the books communal... was named Robert, the movies was named Robert Riskin. Who wrote all of them? Who was not a Republican? Oh, of course, that makes sense to yeah. me. I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, I Robert just thought Riskin was a great and Capra. To him, it was the great American story because, from his eyes, it's about the little guy rising up. You know, it wasn't then... about the rich staying richer. And that was also, by the way, being a Republican back then meant that a lot more. By the way, being yeah. a Republican when Frank Capra was a Republican is really more liberal than most sure. Democrats now. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. You can yeah. sort of see how much society shifted. But, but, but Robert Riskin was the guy who wrote those. That's funny as well. I've yeah. got to research into him because I've, I, like, I hadn't his, put two his, and two together. Those screenplays, are, by the way, are available in volumes. Robert Riskin has volumes of his, his screenplays. And They're did wonderful it, to read. Did he write kind of most of the Frank Capra stuff? Yes. Yes, he did. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. See, that's a worrying with, thing, though. Does... 
Sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, like, do you read many screenplays just sort of to relax and things like that? Like, Well, first of all, I don't then... read screenplays to relax unless it's like a Robert Riskin screenplay. Yeah. Uh, you know, great writing is great writing, yeah. you know. And so, yes, I read anything to relax. Uh, but generally, I'm given screenplays. But see, I people argue with me on this. Generally, when I'm given a screenplay, I'll read 10 pages. And if in 10 pages I see that it's poorly written, yeah. I'm out. Yeah, and I know actors, agents, uh, producers read the whole thing, and I'm like, if you can't get your first ten pages together, no, thank you. I'm you a know. bit like that with books. I find it really hard to kind of keep going. If oh, by fifty pages, I'm not right. Yeah. By the way, is there a book that you guys like? I'll, I'll give you an example of a book that I've tried reading three different oh. times, and I couldn't get through it. And we were talking about comic books. I can't get through Cavalier and Clay. I'm 10 pages, 20 pages. I think I've gotten about 100 pages, and I'm like, no, thank you. I can't do it. And I don't think that's poorly written. I just can't get into it. And yet it's about comic books, mm. you know, you'd think. And it's it won, uh, it won prizes. And it's like, what? But it's like a personal connection with someone else deep down, isn't it? It's like, for whatever reason, it's like somebody saying, oh, you and this guy will get on, you'll be best friends. And you're yeah. like, oh, great. And then you meet them, and you're like, why Can't would this person it. think? Yeah, yes, yeah. It's almost like they're too close for comfort. So do you have books that, like, you've tried? Well, I have oh, a book God, that... hundreds. It oh, took me... tried. Yeah, yeah, but, but, I'm but so one, bad. But, at... ones, but ones that everyone else... Because Cavalier and Clay, is, for example, everyone has told me I'd love it, yeah. how great it is, you know, and... Uh, so was there one? I can't think of one in particular. Because I had an experience uh, this year where, whereby a friend of mine lent me a book and she was like, this is my favourite book. Sometimes I just read it for pleasure. I, I've read it so many times you're going to love it. And it was called um, Aunt Marie. It's by... And the Aunt Marie writes, the Scriptwriter. It's uh, by... Uh, uh, is it Maria Vargas Slossus? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it took Aunt me... Aunt Julia and the Scriptwriter. Yes, script, thank yeah. you. It, I, I, I was turning to a movie. It. You could save time. Well, <laughs> thank you. It could have taken me two hours. <laughs> I finished it. And it was last year, in fact, it took me, I swear to God, nine minutes to finish the book because I... It wasn't even the subject matter was wrong. It wasn't even the writing was wrong. I just could not fall in love in it. Yeah. I, I just couldn't get into that groove of like, I'm right. enjoying this, I'm reading it. So it was like, come on, we're going to get through this. We're not going to let down your friend. Yeah. Like, And it, I couldn't even say the book was bad. I could just say that like, we never bonded. Right. I couldn't bond with it. I don't know what it was. But it's That's hard if it's like with Cavalry and Clay. And usually I don't see. finish. Why? Because... It's a world that you really love. So in some ways, you know when you go and see a movie which is yeah. about something you really love right. and you think, oh, it's a bit like actually think of, oh, High Rise, uh, the movie based on J.G. Ballard's novel. Right. I've read the novel a few times and I have my own film in my head. Oh. So when I went to see it, even though loads of people like Ben Wheatley's version of that with, with uh, Tom Hiddleston, I kind of didn't because, oh... But I wouldn't have done that, and I wouldn't have done that, and this, and maybe with Cavalier and Clay, you think, hang on, and it's not even a conscious thing. You're not consciously no, thinking I wouldn't have done that. But it's, the, it's the rhythms. It's the rhythms. It just throws me off because I can get lost. And like I read biographies, I read books about comedy, I read books. I mean, I remember seeing the movie Comedian, the one that Jerry Seinfeld mm -hmm. made, and he he invited me early on to see a screening of it, and I fell in love with it. And and I'd be the first one to go. Oh, I'm bored. Or, oh, I, I know that or live that. And, no, I think I can get lost, you know, and that one I can't. And I tried their other books, too, the Yiddish policeman and, you know, all that stuff. I, his rhythms, I can't. It doesn't work for me. But I'm not going to criticize it, you know, because uh, I, I don't think it's crap. 
Um, yeah. But that's almost more painful, isn't it? It's like, this isn't bad, but right. I nope. can't get it. No. Nope. Yeah. Right, we've got uh, nearly... Uh, fin- I was going to... Oh, on the Confederacy of Dunces thing, have you yeah. ever seen the film Wise Blood? Uh, John Houston movie with Brad Dorif. No. Oh, it's great. And I can't remember the name. She was a great writer, Southern Gothic writer. It's about a guy who starts a church without God and it ends with him kind of wrapping his body up in barbed wire. It has Harry Dean Stanton in it. Oh, wow. And it has this great gag in it where Harry Dean Stanton plays this blind priest uh-huh. and he talks about, you know, the, the, what he did for God and everything. And then one day uh, his daughter reveals the truth and he just wears the dark glasses because there's a big headline that just says, Priest plucked to pluck out eyes at midday. And then she goes, you didn't see the next day's paper. Priest loses nerve at last minute. But it's got, it's just a really, and I, um, Trent will be looking it up now, I imagine, which is Wise Blood, very famous Southern Gothic writer, died very young. But it has a kind of thing where you go, I could have imagined someone like John Houston making Confederacy of Dunces. Jeff Garland, Soho Theatre, and he's coming back again. He's going to be off Broadway. And uh, thanks very much for coming in. It is just a very, people sometimes get quite confused by this, because especially when we're, you know, we're getting right to the end of the year now. And it's a very rambling conversation. At no point do we go, by the way, Jeff Garland, born in 1962. By the way, no, no. That's the only way it should be. I had a podcast in the States that actually was very popular, but a lot of people didn't like it because they would get mad at me for not asking probing questions. And I did it live at this theater in Los Angeles called Largo. And it was called, uh, um, by the way, Jeff Garland in conversation with conversation. There's no agenda in a conversation. It's a conversation. That's why I felt very at home here. This was a delight. Nothing short of a delight. This is what I would want to listen to. Oh, by the way, I I apologize for myself as a guest, but nonetheless, this is what I want to listen to. We're English and we will out-apologize you and we're ready to take you on with that. (laughs) I want to plug something, which is there's a very funny video. There's a channel I really like on YouTube called Mr. Box, which is Stuart Laws who makes videos and stuff. And they made a parody video of... A man acting in Soho now as if it was 1950s Soho with like 50s jazz under it. And he's like, Soho, my mistress, will I ever forgive her? But it's like outside McDonald's and all bar. Do you know oh, what I mean? that's so it's great. Like, it's really funny. I really recommend it. Well, how do you, where, where do I see that? Oh, it's on YouTube. I'll, I'll, um, I'll try and... Is it just, I ta- what, what, what would be the title of it? Do you know? But and I, how are you plugging it? You're not plugging all it. All of our plugs are terrible. <laughs> Wise blood by someone whose name I can't oh, I remember. Wanna, I want to. I want to plug something. A book. Yes. It's uh, Marty Feldman's autobiography. Oh wow. Uh, do you know what? This is a great bit of synchronicity. You know who gave me that? Who? Alan Moore. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, me. I'm Marty. Oh, I, yeah, I'm Marty. Yeah. Well, I'm Marty was put together by my friend Mark Flanagan, who runs Largo. The, the, he owns the theater that I play. He's my best pal, and. He put that book together. He lives in Marty Feldman's old house, wow. and and he found that book in a closet. Oh my God! He found so he's that moved book. In. He's like yeah. opening up the closet. Yeah. and you know what? There's a great story of Marty Feldman and Francis Bacon in there. I don't want to even say it because it's just such a great story, and and it's just it's wonderful. So you have it. Yeah, yeah. Did you read the story with? Francis I haven't saw it. He gave it to me a couple of months ago, okay. and, I, and I've been on tour. So there's a great there's a great story about Marty Feldman. And Francis Bacon and um, what's his name who worked with uh, Peter Cook. It's Peter Cook and Marty Feldman and Francis Bacon. If that doesn't per- perk your interest, I don't know what would, you know. Today's podcast has been brought to you by Jungian Synchronicity. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Jeff Garland. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. So okay, sure. Just a quick admin note at the end because the screen had died in the studio. Uh, Wise Blood was by Flannery O'Connor.
Hey, Josie, good news. Yes. Oh. Anyway, so the uh, <laughs> we're gonna we are doing a series of book shambles live events at the Albert Hall, the smaller room at the side. Uh, you, you didn't say the Royal Albert Hall; you just said the Albert Hall. Yeah, it is just the Bolton's Albert Hall. <laughs> the, uh, we are doing uh, a series of book shambles at the Royal Albert Hall. I didn't say Royal because I know you've got a thing. Um, yeah, I'm a Republican. Yeah. yeah. The Royal Albert Hall. There will be a series of book shambles live at the Royal Albert Hall. Small room at the side, uh, where we will be talking to scientists, astronauts and various others about books they've written and books they like and things they might want to take into space and things they might bring back from space. Sounds delightful. Should be fun, shouldn't it? Be all right? And we'll also be doing a show in the main hall at Royal Albert Hall. The Space Shambles Show, which is a big comedy, music, science spectacular hosted by Robin and Commander Chris Hadfield, and that will be uh, will be telling the story of space from Big Bang to celestial navigation to shuttle missions and space stations and everything else. And tickets for that are also available from the Royal Albert Hall website. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.